Welcome to another in our series of Kehillat Israel podcasts. This is a recording of Rabbi Amy Bernstein's weekly Friday morning Torah study. So I told Judith I'm going to rock her world today um, because Judith is always wanting us to study past the five books, and we never do. Um, but because Micha Goodman gave us a lecture uh, in Jerusalem um, that involved our Torah portion this week, um, I'm going to take us through that. Um, and that's going to take us into the book of Chronicles and into the book of Kings. So you have in front of you... Uh, you have the women's Torah commentary, which is what we use every week when we're studying uh, from Torah. You also have in front of you a Tanakh. So Tanakh is a Rocher table. What is that in English? What is that called? Acronym? Is that an acronym? If it's the abbreviation, that's an acronym, right? So Tanakh is Torah, Nevi'im, and Ketuvim. Torah, the five books, Nevi'im, the prophets, and Ketuvim, the writings. So, um, so Kings... And Chronicles falls under Ketuvim, the writings, meaning the Psalms, all that kind of stuff. Okay? So we're going to be in Two Kings and in Chronicles, um, but we're going to start, of course, with our Torah portion in Deuteronomy. Don't worry at home. I have loaded it all up and in order. Of course, we're in the book of Deuteronomy. That's where we've been hanging out. We're going to hang out there till after till the uh, high holidays. And then we read at the end of Simchat Torah, with the end of Sukkot, we're going to read the end of Deuteronomy and the beginning of the book of Genesis, Breshit. So we're going to hang on to Deuteronomy. That's where we've been. We're at the final words of Moses to the people, three major speeches made by Moshe to the people. So we're in the middle of this uh, Parsha, and Moshe is warning them, Remember, we've gotten a lot of instruction about what's supposed to happen when they enter the land. Moshe is now warning them about what is, what's going to happen if they don't listen. And we tend to think of Deuteronomy as the end, right? Because we always finish Deuteronomy. We go back to Genesis. Micha Goodman points out that actually the history of Israel in the land of Israel covers nine books. Genesis is not really involved. Uh, not so much Exodus. It's really the book of Exodus where the nation is born. Exodus through two kings. So in those books, the story of the people Israel in its land, like how they form as a nation in the desert, they get to the land, blah, 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 blah. Then a bunch of stuff happens, right? In the land. So Deuteronomy is smack in the middle of that arc. So we tend to think of Deuteronomy as the end. It is not. If you look at the big arc of the story of the people of Israel as a sovereign nation, it is smack in the middle. Okay? So we're going to go past the middle today, which we never do, um, to get to some of what Micha is talking about, why our Parshas is written the way it is. All right. So let's look at at, at our Parsha. Don't worry. Don't worry. I'm going to unpack it. I'm going to put it in context. Okay? So we're going to be okay. And if it happens that you do not obey the word of God, your God, to do everything essentially that God said you're supposed to, everything that I've commanded you today. So then all of these curses are done upon you and they will take effect. What are they? Usually we don't spend a lot of time on these, but again, we're going to put them in context. Cursed shall you be in the city and cursed shall you be in the country. Cursed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. 
Cursed shall be your issue from the womb and your produce from the soil, the calving of your herd and the lambing of your flock. Verse 19, cursed shall you be in your comings and cursed shall you be in your goings. God will let loose against you calamity, panic, and frustration in all the enterprises you undertake so that you shall soon be utterly wiped out because of your evil doing in forsaking me. God will make pestilence cling to you until putting an end to you in the land that you are entering to possess. God will strike you with consumption, fever, and inflammation, with scorching heat and drought and blight and mildew. They shall hound you until you perish. Verse 23, the skies above your head shall be copper and the earth under you iron. God will make the rain of your land dust and sand shall drop on you from the sky until you are wiped out. God will put to route before you to route before your enemies. You shall march out against them by a single road, but flee from them by many roads. And you shall become a horror to all the kingdoms of the earth. Your carcass shall become food for all the birds of the sky and all the beasts of the earth with none to frighten them off. God will strike you with the Egyptian inflammation with hemorrhoids, boil scars, and itch from which you shall never recover. God will strike you with madness, blindness, and dismay. You shall grope at noon as the blind grope in the dark. You shall not prosper in your ventures. You shall be constantly abused and robbed with none to give you help. If a person pays bride price for a wife, another man shall enjoy her. If you build a house, you shall not live in it. If you plant a vineyard, you shall not harvest it. 31. Your ox shall be slaughtered before your eyes, but you shall not eat of it. Your ass shall be seized in front of you, and it shall not be returned to you. Your flock shall be delivered to your enemies with none to help you. Your sons and daughters shall be delivered to another people while you look on, and your eyes shall strain for them constantly, but you shall be helpless. A people you do not know shall eat the produce of your soil and all your gains. You shall be abused and downtrodden continually until you are driven mad by what your eyes behold. God will afflict you at the knees and thighs with a severe inflammation from which you shall never recover from the sole of your foot to the crown of your head. God will drive you and the king you have set over you to a nation unknown to you or your ancestors where you shall serve other gods of wood and stone. You shall be a consternation, a proverb, and a byword among all the peoples to which God will drive you. Though you take much seed out to the field, you shall gather in little, for the locust shall consume it. Though you plant vineyards and till them, you shall have no wine to drink or store, for the worm shall devour them. Though you have olive trees throughout your territory, you shall have no oil for anointment, for your olives shall drop off. 41. Though you beget sons and daughters, they shall not remain with you, for they shall go into captivity. The cricket shall take over the trees and produce of your land. The strangers in your midst shall rise above you higher and higher, while you sink lower and lower. They shall be your creditors, and you shall not be theirs. They shall be the head and you the tail. All these curses shall befall you. They shall pursue you and overtake you until you are wiped out because you did not heed God, Adonai, and keep the commandments and laws that I enjoined upon you. They shall serve as signs and proofs against you and your offspring for all time because you would not serve God in joy and gladness over the abundance of everything. You shall have to serve in hunger and thirst, naked and lacking in everything. The enemies whom God will let loose against you will put an iron yoke upon your neck until you are wiped out. God will bring a nation against you from afar, from the end of the earth, which will swoop down like the eagle, a nation whose language you do not understand, a ruthless nation that will show the influential no regard and the vulnerable no mercy. 51. It shall devour the offspring of your cattle and the produce of your soil until you have been wiped out, leaving you nothing of new grain, wine or oil or the calving of your herds, the lambing of your flocks until it has brought you to ruin. 
It shall shut you up in all your towns throughout the land until every mighty towering wall in which you have trust has come down. And when you are shut up in all your towns throughout your land that God has assigned you, you shall eat your own issue, the flesh of your sons and daughters that your God has assigned to you because of the desperate straits to which the enemy shall reduce you. The householder who was most tender and fastidious among you shall be too mean to his brother and the wife of his bosom and the children he has spared to share with them any of the flesh of the children that he eats because he has nothing else left as a result of the desperate straits to which your enemy shall reduce you in all your towns. And she was most tender and dainty among you, so tender and dainty that she would never venture to set a foot on the ground, shall begrudge the husband of her bosom and her son and her daughter. The afterbirth that issues from between her legs and the babies she bears, she shall eat them secretly because of utter want in the desperate straits to which her enemy shall reduce you in your towns. If you fail to observe faithfully all the terms of this teaching that are written in this book, to reverence this honored and awesome name, your God, Adonai, will flip extraordinary plagues upon you and your offspring, strange and lasting plagues, malignant and chronic diseases, bringing back upon you all the sicknesses of Egypt that you dreaded so, and they shall cling to you. Moreover, Yudhevafe will bring upon you all other diseases and plagues that are not mentioned in this book of teaching until you are wiped out. So we would call this hyperbole, right? Obviously. Torah is trying to state in no uncertain terms, how bad it's going to be. So all of us who watch zombie movies and watch uh, every single new zombie show that comes out, that's exactly what we're doing. We are watching this play out, right? We are, we are in a post-apocalyptic description here of what reality looks and feels like. Um, what's interesting is all of us who are fascinated with um, the zombie stuff, there's no reason given for a lot of it, right? In the new one, it's that mushrooms go crazy, right? And cause something that makes the human brain morph into zombies. Um, okay. We, we don't have any responsibility for that, right? So, but we still like to watch it, right? Um, we're still drawn to it. So as much as we're horrified by this, in a way, it, it still has the, the capability, if you look at Emelinda's face, it still has the capability, right, of reaching in and like, right, like bringing us to attention. But it does it for a purpose. The zombie stuff that we watch is for entertainment. How bizarre is that? That we watch gruesome, flesh-eating people for entertainment. And we're, we're put in that world for an hour, right? Um, this is not for entertainment. Um, cannibalism has been a popular horror trope in the last few years too. Correct, Emelinda. Right. So people eating people because it's the most horrible thing you could think of being driven to. And yet we're kind of fascinated with it. Deuteronomy is not doing this for entertainment. What have we been talking about in Deuteronomy? Talk to me a little bit about we've been really looking carefully at kind of the the purpose of the Deuteronomist. Whoever that is, talk to me a little bit about what is Deuteronomy, this teaching, this teaching, this teaching. If you don't keep it, what are we supposed to keep? What is Deuteronomy essentially about? Keeping Torah. Action and consequences. Remembering. What are we supposed to remember? In where? In Egypt. We're supposed to remember our origins in Egypt. Okay. Hold on to that, Elena. That's really important. Our origins in Egypt. What else? What else is Deuteronomy talking about? Nick, did you raise your hand? 
I did not. You did not. But, but uh, it's like, well, we were talking, I think it was last week about um, a shift from emphasizing ritual to ethical ask. Beautiful. The shift from sacrifice and ritual as the religious imperative to ethics and morals being the religious imperative. That is how you follow God's rules is that you create a just and equitable society. All of this is addressed to the land owning Israelite males. Judith has her hand up. Also changing the seat of power to a degree by having uh, the priests not quite as important as they were, and they're coming to Jerusalem to do whatever. So the do. priests lose some authority and power. Who else? Who else are their limits placed on in terms of authority and power? According to Deuteronomy, the king, right? The king is subject to the law. Okay. The beginnings of democracy are here, right? Okay. This is what Deuteronomy is saying. If you fail to implement, all this is going to happen to you and more, as if we could imagine more, right? Maybe it includes zombies. It's an overhaul of the earlier, right, some of the earlier ways of looking at stuff. Okay, I'm going to lift up just a few things out of what we just read. God will make pestilence cling to you until God has put an end to you. God will strike you with consumption, consumption, fever, and inflammation, with scorching heat and drought, with blight and mildew. The Lord will put you to rout before your enemies. The Lord will strike you with the Egyptian inflammation, with hemorrhoids, boils, scars, and itch. The Lord will strike you with madness, blindness, and dismay. You will grope in noon as a blind person gropes in the dark. Though you take much seed out to the field, you shall gather in little, for the locust shall consume it. The cricket shall take over all the trees and the produce of your land. They shall serve as signs and proof against you and your offspring for all time. God will inflict extraordinary plagues upon you and your offspring, plagues, malignant and chronic diseases, the sicknesses of Egypt that you dreaded, they will cling to you. God will bring upon you other diseases and plagues that are not mentioned in this book of teaching until you are wiped out. Why did I pick out those? And what does it remind you of? Passover. Why does it remind us of Passover? The plagues. All right. This is where Micha Goodman goes. Okay. Micha says the reason that we have these things listed here, the reason Deuteronomy lists these things here, it's because that you, this absolutely echoes the 10 plagues. What's going to happen to the Israelites if having been rescued from slavery in Egypt via the 10 plagues, right? That's how they got out of Egypt via the 10 plagues. If that nation goes in to Israel, now has sovereignty, now has power, now has land, now has wealth, and does not use it to create a just and equitable society, what is going to happen? What would that mean? That would mean essentially that you, Israel, have become Egypt. And Micha says the reason we get this kind of language in Deuteronomy about what's going to happen to the Israelites is because if you become Egypt, what is God going to do? Treat you just like Egypt. Don't think you are special. Don't think you're on third because you hit a triple. You were walked. You were walked to third. (laughs) You didn't earn anything. You don't earn anything. 
You were given all of this as a gift. God chose you to give you, the descendants of Abraham and Sarah, a gift. That gift comes with conditions. If you abuse it and you become Egypt, oppressing the stranger, oppressing the poor, the vulnerable, the weak, using your material wealth to oppress others so you can amass more wealth, you not only lose the gift, right? You'll be kicked out. You'll be exiled. Not only that, but I will bring upon you everything I brought upon the Egyptians because ultimately you are no different. Don't think because you're Israelite, you're somehow fundamentally different from the Egyptians. You're just human. I've given you an extraordinary opportunity, says God in Deuteronomy. If you do with it what the Egyptians did with their power, you are absolutely not only no different, you're worse. Because you know better. You should know better. But in a way, this is a second chance. What is? Uh, to to say, all right, you've done it once. You didn't listen. If you don't get it right this time, I'm giving you another chance. There isn't yeah. in the business. We haven't had a, a, a chance that failed yet. Well, they're acting more like the Egyptians now. They're, they haven't. Th- this followed. is still before they've crossed over. Okay. Moshe's saying, don't do you not dare. blow this. Don't blow it. It's a warning. Don't blow it. If you get to Israel and you behave with your power, the way the Egyptians behaved in Egypt with their power, you're toast. I'm going to bring upon you not only what I did to the Egyptians, but you heard the language in Deuteronomy. Also, stuff the Egyptians didn't even dream of. Right? It's going to go worse for you than it did for them. Because you should know better. I took you out of there. Right. With these plagues. And I gave you the opportunity to use gratitude. Remember, we've talked about Deuteronomy is very concerned about gratitude and bringing your fruits and celebrating with the poor and sharing it with everybody. Because out of gratitude, people tend to want other people to have the same things that they have when they're grateful. If you feel like it's owed to you or you did it, you're just a person who's so talented in business that you deserve that wealth. You are in big, big trouble. Okay. Micha says that we hear in Torah all the time that the big fear is returning to Egypt, right? Going back to Egypt. Don't go back there, God keeps saying. Don't return there. That there's this fear of going back to Egypt. He says in Deuteronomy, the fear is about becoming Egypt. And that that should be a motivating fear. That you don't become Egypt. Right. I think about America. Right. I think about right all of our ancestors who came here as immigrants, poor, often very poor, oppressed, marginalized, discriminated against even in this country. Right. And how have we done with making sure we didn't become regular, wealthy, white Americans oppressing other people? Right. Who want to come here and want that opportunity? How are we doing? Right. So. It's, it doesn't go away, right? If we're good and careful studiers of Torah, it should always be asking, and how are you doing about being Egypt? How y'all doing? Right? Micha says, this is the question in Israel. 
It happened here in Deuteronomy. You're about to cross over and have sovereignty and power. How are you going to use that power, Israelites? He says it's happening again, that we have to ask the question, as a sovereign nation in Israel, in power, how are we doing about becoming Egypt? How are we dealing with the marginalized? How are we dealing with the weak, the orphan, the widow, the other, the stranger? It's a hard set of questions if we're going to ask them honestly, right? All right. So if we're going to look at this arc of the story, then we have to look at, okay, what actually happens? We always stop here before they get into the land, right? All right. Well, we're not going to do that this time. We're going to go on to open your Tanakh to two Chronicles. Are we there? We good? All right. We've been talking about the book of Deuteronomy being written possibly in the time of whom? King? Josiah. Josiah. Oh, look at your screen. Look at your book. The people of the land took Yehoahaz, son of Josiah, and made him king instead of his father in Jerusalem. How come? Well, because, right, Josiah gets dead. Gets dead. Yehoahaz was 23 years old when he became king, and he reigned three months. The king of Egypt deposed him in Jerusalem and laid a fine on the land of a 100 silver talents and one gold talent. The king of Egypt made his brother Eliachim king over Judah and Jerusalem and changed his name to Yehoachim. Neho took his brother Yoachaz and brought him to Egypt. This is what's happening to the kings of Judah. Yehoachim was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. He did what was displeasing to Yudhevavheh, his god. So what's going to happen? Yeah, exactly. Here we go. King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon marched against him. He bound him in fetters to convey him to Babylon. What did we just read in Deuteronomy? A nation is going to descend on you whose language you do not know and carry you and your children off. What happened in the northern kingdom? They were carried off, and now we're getting a description of what's happening in the southern kingdom of Judah. Yes? Nebuchadnezzar comes and carries off the king and takes him to Mesopotamia. Where did our story begin? Oh, Mesopotamia. Who came from Mesopotamia? Abraham! Abraham leaves Mesopotamia and comes to Canaan, the great exodus out of Mesopotamia to the promised land. Micha points out, most times when you have migration patterns, where are people migrating to? What, what kind of things are they migrating towards? Water? Better life food? Better life in general? Freedom? Where does that tend to happen? In the bigger cities. It happens in your metropolitan centers. The great powers of the ancient Near East in Israel's time. Tell me what they are. What are the great powers of the ancient Near East? Mesopotamia and? Egypt. Egypt. Thank you. So most people looking for a better life and looking to like have stuff and opportunity and beginnings and freedom and all of that would be moving towards Mesopotamia or Egypt. The big empires, the big powers, the big metropolis, big metropolitan areas of the time. What is our story? 
says Michal Goodman. Abraham leaves Mesopotamia and goes to this tiny little backwater nothing. What is the other great story of our people? We leave Egypt and go to this backwater nothing little territory in the middle of the great big powers. That's a crazy story. That's a, that's a little crazy if you think about it. If you think about what people naturally are moving towards, it's not a backwater like Israel that gets beaten up all the time, right? As people fight over both the coast, you know, and how access to the coast as well as the trade routes, right? The King's Highway, all that stuff that runs through Israel. People are always fighting about control over that. So Israel's always getting schmeist. So What's our story? Not that we go from that backwater town that everybody's stepping on all the time towards the great metropolis, north or south. Most of our stories are about coming from Mesopotamia to Israel, from Egypt to Israel. Two great exoduses. One from Mesopotamia, one from, yes. What did we just read here? I love Michai. What did we just read here? Nebuchadnezzar bound the king and took the king to Mesopotamia. Nebuchadnezzar also brought some vessels of the house of God to Babylon and set them in his palace in Mesopotamia. The other events of Joachim's reign and the abominable things he did and what was found against him are recorded in the book of kings of Israel and Judah because that's the book of kings. We're in the book of Chronicles. Chronicles is always coming to say something about what's in Kings. Joachim was eight years old when he became king and he reigned three months and 10 days in Jerusalem and did what was displeasing to God. What's going to happen? Exactly. (laughs) At the turn of the year, King Nebuchadnezzar sent to have him brought to Babylon and the precious vessels of the house of God. And he made his kinsman Sedekiah king over Judah and Jerusalem. Zedekiah was 21 years old when he became king, and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. He did what was displeasing to God. He did not humble himself before the prophet Jeremiah, who spoke for God. He also rebelled against Nebuchadnezzar, who made who made him take an oath by God. He stiffened his neck and hardened his heart so as not to turn to the God of Israel. All the officers of the priests and the people committed many trespasses following the abominable practices of the nations. What did Deuteronomy tell us not to do? The practices of those nations. They polluted the house of God, which God had consecrated in Jerusalem. And God of their fathers had sent word to them through God's prophets daily without fail. For God had pity on God's people and God's dwelling place. But they mocked the messengers of God and disdained God's words and taunted God's prophets until the wrath of God against God's people grew beyond remedy. He therefore brought the king of the Chaldeans upon them who killed their youths by the sword in their sanctuary. He did not spare youth, maiden, elder, or graybeard, but delivered all into his hands. All the vessels of the house of God, large and small, and the treasures of the house of God and the treasures of the king and his officers were all brought where? To Mesopotamia. They burned the house of God and tore down the wall of Jerusalem, burned down all its mansions and consigned all its precious objects to destruction. Those who survived the sword, he exiled to Babylon and they became his and his son's servants till the rise of the Persian kingdom. 
and fulfillment of the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah. Until the land paid back its Sabbath, as long as it lay desolate, it kept Sabbath till 70 years were completed. And in the first year of the king Cyrus of Persia, when the word of God spoken by Jeremiah was fulfilled, God roused the spirit of Cyrus and issued a proclamation that allows them to return. But they are exiled. They are exiled. The great exodus is from Mesopotamia to Israel. Because you did not heed the terms of the arrangement, what happens? You go back to Mesopotamia. You are taken back. Our whole story that begins with leaving Mesopotamia, coming to Canaan, becoming, it becomes Israel because you didn't create the kind of society you were commanded to create. You go back to Mesopotamia. So is that it? Is that the end of the story? That there's just Mesopotamia and that's it? Nope. It turns out, nope. Let's go to two kings, 25. So Micha brought us this, this arc, this, these texts in, in Jerusalem when we were studying. Um, so we had to study all these texts before his lesson even began. On the seventh day of the fifth month, that was the 19th year of King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, Nebuzaradan, the chief of the guards and officer of the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem. He burned the house of God, the king's palace, and all the houses of Jerusalem. He burned down the house of every notable person. We just got that in Chronicles, right? The entire Chaldean force that was the chief of the guard tore down the walls of Jerusalem on every side. We got that just now in Chronicles. The remnant of the people that was left in the city. Ah, ah, ah. There's a remnant of people left in the city. Eileen, there were a remnant of the people left in the city. Um, the defectors who had gone over to the king of Babylon and the remnant of the population were taken into exile by Nebuzaradan, the chief of the guards. So, so now we get another group that had been left in the city. They are carried off by this guy, right? By Nebuzaradan. Okay. But some of the poorest in the land were left by the chief of the guards to be vine dressers and field hands. What is this? You leave the absolute poorest of the poor in place so the land doesn't lie fallow. They are there to tend the vineyards and everything. That's what they did before. They just stay in place. They're just working for a new boss. But you keep your field hands in place because of you as the conquering power want that land to be productive, right? That's your wealth. It's, of course, all the booty and people, but it's, it's the produce of the land that's going to continue to give you wealth, right? All right. So the poorest in the land, it turns out, were left there. We tend to think of the destruction, boom, everybody's gone. Because we don't get here. We don't read here. Well, let's read on. The Chaldeans broke up the bronze columns of the house of God, the stands, and the bronze tank, meaning the labor, right, that was in the house of God. And they carried the bronze away to where? Mesopotamia. They also took the pails, scrapers, snuffer, ladles, and all the other bronze vessels used in the service, right? This is wealth. This is Israel's wealth. The chief of the guards took whatever was of gold and whatever was of silver, fire pans and sprinkling bowls, right? All the stuff 
that the priests had used, that these Israelites were making all of their sacrifices to propitiate their God, who would never let anything happen to them if they brought the right sacrifices. What happens? All that technology is gone. The two columns and the laver and the stands that Solomon provided for the house of God, all these objects contain bronze beyond weighing. That's your wealth. The one column, blah, 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 blah. The chief of the guards also took Sariah, the chief priest, Sephania, the deputy priest, and the three guardians of the threshold. So what about your priests who were going to work on your behalf to expiate all your sins with sacrifices? What's happened to them? They're carried off. And from the city, he took a eunuch who was in command of the soldiers, five of the royal privy counselors who were present in the city. The scribe of the army commander was in charge of mustering the people of the land and 60 of the common people who were inside the city. So anybody left who was part of the administrating of the Judeans left there are now taken. Nebuzaradan, the chief of the guards, took them and brought them to the king of Babylon. The king of Babylon had struck them down and put to death at Ribla in the region of Hamat. Thus, Judah was exiled from its land. So what happens now? King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon puts Gedaliah, son of Ahicham, son of Shaphan, in charge of the people whom he left in the land of Judah. So there are still some people left. Gedaliah is put in charge by whom? Nebuchadnezzar. Okay? When the officers of the troops and their men heard that the king of Babylon put Gedaliah in charge, they came to Gedaliah at Mitzpah with Ishmael, son of Netanya, Yehochonan, son of Karea, Sariah, son of, I can't do these in English, um, son of Ma'achai, together with their men. Gedaliah reassured them and their men, saying, do not be afraid of the servants of the Chaldeans. Stay in the land and serve the king of Babylon and all will go well with you. Just calm down. It's going to be okay. They're not looking to do anything to us. They just want us to administrate everything. Just chill. Right? In the seventh month, Ishmael, son of Netanya, son of Elishama, who was of royal descent, came with ten men, and they struck down Gedaliah, and he died. They also killed the Judeans and the Chaldeans, who were present with him at Mitzpah. And all the people, young and old, and the officers of the troops set out and went where? To Egypt. Because they were afraid of the Chaldeans. Boom, says Micah. Boom. Back to Mesopotamia. The other great exodus was from Egypt to Israel. What happens at the end of our story? It's not just Mesopotamia. Yes, that's bad enough. But there are people left. Nebuchadnezzar put Gedaliah in charge. but. Our friend Ishmael, who's of royal descent, decides he wants to be in charge. So he kills Gedaliah well, and the Judeans and the Chaldeans and the Bukhadnezzar staff. What happens when you do that? You better run. You better run. Where do they run? Two great Migrations, two great exoduses to form the Israelite project. What happens? Says Micha, what's the end of the ark? What's two kings is the end of our ark? What happens? Back to Mesopotamia and back to Egypt. So if that's the great ark, talk to me about the end of our story. Dana, you look a little upset. 
First of all, I understand why we only read the first five books. <laughs> now you know why we stop before we get in the lectures. And this explains, you know, the choice of wording in Deuteronomy that you read in the beginning, you know, is trying to explain all this. What So these, uh, these Book of Kings and the Chronicles, they were written at the same time as Deuteronomy? So, right. It's close, right? If you're, it depends when you date Deuteronomy, right? If you're going to put it in the mouth of Moshe, obviously no. It's written much later. But most of us don't, right? We know the Deuteronomist is much later. It's under the time of King Josiah, most likely. So yes, this is close to the events. So Deuteronomy's warning about exactly what's about to happen. So lots of people make Deuteronomy post-exilic. The book is retrospective about what happened. It's because y'all didn't do what the book of Deuteronomy said, which the prophets were yelling and screaming about. Remember when we studied Amos and Jeremiah and the financial crisis of the 8th century? Remember when we talked about all that? Y'all didn't listen, says Deuteronomy. That's why what happened happened. It's a fort. It's saying it's gonna happen if you don't listen, but it's written after it's already happened. Does that make sense? Isn't this a big revolution in the sense that it interprets history as having some moral content? Well, that's the whole big move of of Deuteronomy that we've been talking about. It's it's moral. That's the revolution is that it's about morals and ethics. It's about what you do with your power. It's not you just get to have power and do whatever you want with it. That That's the whole revolution of Deuteronomy. Even though I understand Dana's saying why we don't read anything but the five books, this adds an element that we don't get otherwise, and I think it's a very rich element to add to the story. So, Micha says to us in, in his lecture, he says, Levi, Leo Strauss taught, when it comes to great works, great books, great pieces like this, you have to ask two questions. What does the book say? And what does the book do? And Micha says, the ending of a great book is what gives you the impact of the book. Like, that's what it does. What does this do? What does this ending do? This is the huge, like, ending, right? And um, I love that he quotes David Hartman of Blessed Memory, who said... He said that, that, um, that David Hartman used to take this book and used to say, this is an indictment of the Jewish people. That's what this is. That's what this does. And he would say, and if you didn't know it was written by Jews, you would swear it was written by anti-Semites because this is a condemnation of the entire project. You had a chance and you blew it. Israel, you failed. So what does that do? Micha wants to argue that the entire arc, the entire purpose of this whole thing is, so don't do it again. Here's the lesson. So could they ever imagine having sovereignty in the land of Israel again? No. Like it took 2,000 years and it was a miracle that it happened in 48. Right? Look at all the for that to happen. There was, a, but now that we have sovereignty, if you want to know the purpose of this, be very careful when you have power. Be very careful, because your ancestors 
couldn't do it. This is an indictment of the Jewish people. We have been warned. And it's history. It's history. We were exiled. And if you listen to Micha, and we're going to look a little bit next time, I think, at his chapter on King Solomon, again, leaving the five books. Um, if we look at Solomon, that's what happens. He overtaxes the people. The people are under stress. We heard about the prophets who were trying to warn about the economic disparity that was growing between rich and poor. They didn't heed the prophets. They went after prophets. Prophets. They didn't listen to the prophets. They went for prophets. Okay, I tried. Um, and in their greed, in their greed and their ignoring of the growing rift between rich and poor, they became polarized and that weakened the nation from within. And Micha gave us lots of examples from classic literature, Jewish literature that says it was infighting between the Jerusalemites that brought it down. Look at this. How, how did we get to Egypt? Micha asked us. How did we get to Egypt? Do you remember what was happening? How did we get to Egypt? It was a famine. famine. We got to Egypt because of a famine, right? Um, what, what caused the guy in power down there to be able to help out? Asks Micha. Hatred between brothers caused Joseph, right, to be taken, who then is now, so now they go to him. That's how we got down there, because of hatred between brothers. What causes their ultimate return to Israel? I mean, to Egypt, asks Micha. Ishmael kills Gedaliah. Pick me and stone. Hatred between Israelites is what gets them back to Egypt. And this is the grand narrative that y'all didn't listen, that that would rot you from within, making you vulnerable to enemies from without. And that is exactly what happened. The North fell and then the South. I just have a, a general question. Like were, were um, Ketuvim and Nevi'im written simultaneous to, to the books of the uh, the five books of Moses or like what, where do they fall chronologically? There's lots of different theories, but there's, there's lots of different books. So it depends which ones you're talking about. Yeah. So and who and where there are different prophets There are some prophets in the North preaching to the North. Mm-hmm. There are some prophets in the South preaching to the South. There are some prophets in the South preaching to the North. Right. So there's a lot of different stuff going on. Cause we just read Kings two, a portion from Kings two. And why, so why is that included in the prophets? I mean, is that, it's not. It's in the Ketuvim. It's oh, in that, the writings. Oh, that was in the Ketuvim. Yes. And Chronicles is Ketuvim. Bo- uh, both in Ketuvim. Ketuvim. Okay. okay. Yes. And they, but we think they were, those were written around the time of Deuteronomy or not necessarily? I'm, I don't know. I'm not oh. sure of the dating. I don't know. Okay. But they are explaining, they are coming to explain the events that happened, right? And their explanation, right, is based in part, on the words of the prophets, who are addressing a very real situation in the 8th century, right? That that And you, you remember, they built a temple at Bethel in the north at Dan, right? There was a competing cult site in Dan. There's already 
polarization between the North and the South, competing places for worship, right? And so once that, once that polarization begins and you start to have such a disparity between rich and poor that adds to anger and tension and whatever, you ultimately have rot and and contention from within the nation that drives them to betray each other and and allows for a, an outside enemy to conquer. So Micha says, all right, so now we have the great indictment, according to David Hartman, the great indictment of the Jewish people, the Tanakh. So will we take this seriously? Now, now, both in Israel and here, right? Both in Israel and here. Will you take seriously, America, the growing disparity between rich and poor? And will you address it? Will you take seriously the polarization and schisms within the nation that could very easily lead to destruction of democracy? That's what I would say, democracy. Maybe the nation will survive, but it'll be under an autocrat. But it can lead to the destruction of the democratic experiment. And what about y'all in Israel? You have sovereignty. You have power. You have wealth. Will you address the disparity between rich and poor? Will you address the polarization of your population? Because here's here's how it works out. If you don't, it's very clear. We have several versions. We have three chapters in Jeremiah that describe exactly what we just looked at in Kings and Chronicles. It is very clear what happens if you don't. Even though we're saying our teaching says to us, let's see if we can uh, fight against the human condition. That's in essence what we're saying. Let's see if we can fight against the human tradition condition. No, it's say, I, what I hear you saying is it's human nature. And there's no way around the fact that if we have power, we will be corrupted. That's what I hear you saying, right? That, that we are we're fighting human nature correct. in saying you're going to have power, but you're going to use it justly, right? That you're, that we're fighting against human nature. Yes. Correct. Okay. Chara says, yes, that's right. You have to fight human nature. It's human nature for me to want to smack some people daily. Mm -hmm. Do I get to? No. We all know how, because I've got a mean, right. But Well, so part of it is I might suffer some consequences that would be unpleasant. So that's one thing that might stop me. But what's another thing that might stop me? I want to be a good person. I want to be a good person. So there are things I don't do. Because I want to be an ethical, moral, good person living into the values that I've been taught are good values. History would say uh, that I'm right. Torah would say it's up to you. History. I understand that. But I'm saying history. Torah says. I, I didn't School say, history. I didn't say. Torah says. No, no, no. no you got to listen. Anything other than it's really tempting. You've got to listen too. I, history would say that I'm right. So what, Jim? So, so what? So what? That's all I'm saying. I'm asking. So what? So history. So so what? Mm, so a lot. 
So a lot. A lot, a lot of what? Um, I would say that if I look over a 2,000-year period of time, I'd say that we're fighting a real uphill battle. Mm-hmm. That's all I'm saying. Agreed. Okay? 100% agreed. That's all I'm saying. 100% agreed. It is an uphill battle. And I think that if we were to address it in, 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 in that manner and really uh, not just take the issue of uh, Torah says and it's a good idea too, but also to put out there that it is a real uphill battle. You are misinterpreting then, and I apologize if I misspoke. You are misinterpreting my entire message. My entire message is not Torah says, therefore. My entire message is Torah says, here's what happens if you don't. You will be so weakened from within that you will be destroyed. I believe that is true. Mm-hmm. And I believe this is coming as proof. Don't do what happened here. But I'm you also- need to learn to do it differently if you want this project of democracy to succeed. But I'm also think it's very important to add that um, it is very difficult to n- go against um, what power does to people. Well, we wouldn't need everything. We, it wouldn't need to be this thick, Jim, if the tradition didn't recognize that. The tradition very much recognizes. Well, if, if, if anyone in here feels like I've not stated that in Torah study, please let me know because it is my understanding that in these years of studying together, that's all we do is talk about how hard it is and talk about how difficult it is and that we don't, we have an option. We can either dig into what's difficult or we can elect an autocrat and, and history will repeat itself. And that's an option. George, the uh, quest for power uh, and when the power overrides should be looked at, I think, as an addiction that you have nothing else that uh, uh, affects you. You just want to get the dope or uh, have the power. Yeah. Uh, And it's an addiction, which is in one sense uh, a, a problem. And what happens with addiction? What happens when someone is acting out of addiction? You ignores everything else. And that's the point that I'm trying to make. That's exactly right. Right? So that's exactly what this whole thing, Micha says, is coming to say. If you act out of your addiction, we know the end. Here it is. So so I was just going to say it's true power corrupts, but we live in a world where we have choices and there's a lot of goodness too. And people are born and die, so that's why the story is repeated because the cycle repeats. It's not a, it's not an uphill thing forever, because we we do reach the promised land so often when good things happen. You know, Israel, Israel was created, and there's a wonderful state there. So um, I understand power corrupts, but it's power, not for, it's power not, can corrupt. I think that's. That's the point. That's what this whole thing is about. Power can corrupt. Therefore, be vigilant. Write the check that hurts. Write the check you don't want to write. Right? Like, give to charities. Like, give to those causes that until it hurts. Because, yes, the temptation is to keep it. And it's going to hurt to give it. So stay vigilant 
about your own addiction to having and consuming and controlling and manipulating. Therefore, Shabbat. One day where you don't control anything or anybody. Right? Holidays where you give thanks, where we revel in our abundance and all that we've been given so that we stay humble, that we didn't get this. It was a gift. It was given to us. I don't care how hard somebody worked for it. Lots of people are working hard that don't have anything. We start with so much privilege, and that's what we're trying to acknowledge, right, when we come with our festivals and our celebrating together. So cultivate those things that will help push us up that hill. That's a steep hill. Torah understands that. The tradition understands that. Doesn't mean you don't have to keep pushing, right? What you spoke about today. Yeah. The deep theme of what you've spoken about is when good people do nothing, that bad things happen. So uh, buying into this history dictates what's coming is a roadmap to disaster. Yes. So Mark reminds us that it's a roadmap to disaster when we don't do something, right? That that just saying, oh, well, that's how it goes, um, is the roadmap to disaster. I think it, uh, the, the bottom line is it goes back to the beginning where we are given not only life, but big-time choice. Yes. That's the most important. It's up to you to choose the way you're going to live. That's exactly right. It is up to us to choose because we ate from that tree. And what tree did we eat from? Good and bad. The knowledge of good and bad. So because y'all ate that tree, because y'all have that capacity, you are responsible for what you do because you know what's right to do. And you know what's wrong. And if you do what's right and build a society based on justice and compassion and equity and all those things, you will flourish. And if not, we know the consequences. The choice is ours. Torah reminds us it is always uh, up to us to decide. Let us choose wisely this year as we approach the High Holy Days. May we make wise choices. You've been listening to Rabbi Amy Bernstein's Friday morning Torah study from Kehillat Israel in Pacific Palisades, California. For more information, go to our website, www.ourki.org.